What a special morning. Does anyone else feel like this morning there's some kind of expectation? There's, there's a sense of expectancy in the, in the air. And I love the first Sunday of the year. I love it. Uh, we're at the beginning of a year and we find ourselves with a window of time where the, well, especially the Western world collectively reflects and looks forward. It's like we just take these few moments, a few days, and uh, it's a special time because in a culture that glorifies being busy, do we not live in a culture that we just boast about all the things that we, oh, we've got to do this, oh, we're going back to work, oh, I'm so busy, my schedule's so full. In a culture that boasts and glorifies being busy, everybody just kind of thinks, yeah, Taking a few days to reflect on what has been and to reset for what's to come is a good idea. And uh, there's so many highlights from the last year and challenges. I know this because I've seen them on your Instagram stories. I have seen them and you've told me about the challenges and you're going to get stronger and better this year. I've seen them. There's been highlights and there's been challenges and uh, it's a great time in the year for us to just reset. And as we get this window of time... Sometimes, if you allow me to stretch this metaphor, we see through this window and sometimes we don't like what we see. Because we see a a glaringly obvious gap between who we are and who we want to be. Where we are and where we want to be. And we look and we think, how did I get here? Perhaps uh, we look through this window and notice that some things that we say are important to us are actually nowhere to be found in our everyday life. They're just really a concept. I don't know about you, but uh, if you're anything like me, sometimes when you have something really important or really valuable, you think this, I'm going to find a special spot. Surely, you ha- I'm not the only one who finds a really, really special spot. I'm going to hide it here and I will never lose it because I've put it here. I will always know where this special, important thing is. Uh, you have heard about my many experiences with my passport. I have put them in such special, special spots that they are never to be found again. I have very clear memory of a few years ago, I really urgently needed my passport and I was uh, just pulling my hair out to find the special spot and Lisa came over to come and help me find this place and I have the clearest memory of, I walked past a room and Lisa was there yelling at God going, you know where it is! (laughs) She was just yelling at God, where is the special spot? And uh, I know we do this, I do this all the time, but we can do this with things in our lives that aren't just important objects. We can do this with God and we can think he's important to us and somehow he uh, finds us, we find a special spot for him and his presence and we kind of just go on with our lives. And this moment of reflection at the start of a new year kind of allows us to see that clearly. If you're visiting with us today and you're still figuring out this faith thing, 
I believe this message is for you today to open your eyes and your heart to the fact that there's a God who loves you. There's a God who loves you. Also, for those of us who believe in God, I believe that God has impressed upon my heart today a message for us with the purpose of awakening hearts. For those of us who have metaphorically put God in a special spot. And this message is for those of us who have found a spot for him. We've found a spot for his presence and it's special and it's sentimental and it makes us feel good when we think about that we know we have it. But for the life of us, we cannot find our way back. There's a story in the Old Testament that demands us to ask this question. How could you lose something that important? How could you lose something that important? Today we're going to read about a passage of King David where he brings, he he decides to bring back the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, yes, it's a real thing. The Ark of the Covenant is not just a new Indiana Jones movie or something like that. It was a real thing. And uh, you want to talk about losing something important? Imagine being the guys who lost the Ark of the Covenant. There were two guys who lost the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, today, for those of you who like to know where we're going, we're going to cover this, that what is it? What is that thing, the Ark of the Covenant? How did they lose it? And what does it mean to bring it back? This scripture takes place when David had just become king. The reign of King Saul was over and King David was now on the throne. Uh, It was his first act that he wanted to do when he became king. He wanted to bring back the Ark of the Covenant. So what is it? Uh, we'll, take a, we'll look at 1 Chronicles 13 just to see the thought of where David's going. It says this, that David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, with every leader, and David said to the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and to our Lord, let's send out for our brothers who remain in the land of Israel and we will bring back the Ark of the Covenant to us. For we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All of the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of the people. Uh, Some version says where it says, we didn't seek it in the days of Saul, says it was out of sight and it was out of mind. So what was it? What was the Ark of the Covenant? The first thing that David did as king, he thought this was so important that this is what I'm going to do. My first thing a king. Well, it was a wooden box. And it was covered in gold. It had gold rings either side of it for carrying. And on top of it, it had two angels and, and, or cherubims that looked at each other. And in between there was a thing called the mercy seat. Within the ark, we know for sure that the Ten Commandments were in there. The law was in the ark. And then some say, and uh, it's talked about, that there was a bowl of manna to remind the people of God's provision. There was Aaron's staff to remind people of God's miraculous power and his leadership. And this ark had been uh, built by Moses. God told Moses to build this ark so he would have a place for his presence to reside with his people. That God's presence would reside above the ark and his glory would be manifest there. It was so his presence could be with them, lead them and guide them. Importantly for us today is what the ark represented. 
Uh, The ark was a physical representation of God's presence with his people. Emmanuel, God with us. And that's where his glory was manifest. Because the ark was built out of wood and covered in gold, this was a representation of Jesus. It represented his humanity, but the gold represented his deity that could not be ruined. This ark was important. It was important. And so even as we just scratch the surface of what the ark represented, this is just scratching the surface, we can kind of see that this was a big deal. Uh, to, to be just lose the thing that carried the presence of God was a big deal. To put it somewhere where you don't know where it is anymore, the presence of God was no longer with the people of God. This was a big deal. And it it begs us to ask the question, how do you lose something that important? I'm sure that has been a key line in many marital spouses' arguments. How do you lose something that important? Well, how did they lose it? 20 years before the verse that I read about David, 20 years before Uh, there, there were the Israelites and the house of Eli was running the temple and he had two wicked sons. It says they were wicked in all of their ways. They fulfilled their priestly duties in name only and completely, completely disregarded the things of God, the presence of God, the nature of God and who he is. They manipulated his presence and they, uh, they abused their privilege and lived however they wanted. You can read that in 1 Samuel 4. And it was during this time that the Israelites were still under oppression of the Philistines. They were like bullies. Continually coming back, these big bully Philistines would come back and oppress the Israelites all of the time. And so uh, during this time of uh, when Eli was the priest and his sons were fulfilling the priestly duties, they kind of just got sick of it. They're like, you know what? We are sick of being lorded over by these Philistines. We're going to go out and we're going we're gonna to battle them and we're going to win. They did not seek the Lord. They did not ask his counsel. They just decided that they were sick of the condition they were living in. They went out that day to battle and 4,000 men died by the, in the Israelite army that day. They were so mad. They began saying, how could God let this happen to us? Do we ever do that? We plan the plans and then blame God when they don't work out? No, never. And so they were so mad that they, they gathered together and they're like, you know what? We've got a secret weapon. Do you remember the secret weapon? We've got a secret weapon. The Ark of the Covenant. It's back in the, it's in the tabernacle. Let's go and get that and we'll bring it and then we will win. And so it was their plans trying to manipulate his power. And when they brought the covenant into the camp, the Israelite army erupted. They erupted with cheering and dancing and singing. And it says the noise was so loud that it shook the earth. And the Philistines felt the earth shake from how excited the Israelites were. They said, definitely our plans will come to pass now. 
Notice that the people of God didn't believe God was actually with them until there was a physical representation of him. This is a dangerous thing when the people of God do not believe he is with them until they see a physical representation of him or all of the plans working in their favour. That is the opposite of faith and it is the very definition of an idol. Even the things of God can become an idol to us if we rely on the rituals and religion more than his presence. As a people of faith... We must believe that God is with us and for us despite what we do or do not see. And what was meant to frighten the enemy, the Philistine army did exactly opposite. The Philistines gained great resolve. They're like, there is no way they are going to beat us. There is no way. And you know what? We're going to beat them and we're going to take that little thing, that ark thing that they think is so powerful. And you know what they did? They did. 30,000 men died from the Israelite army and the ark was captured in one day. Eli died, his sons were killed, his daughter-in-law died in childbirth and the ark was lost in one day. The Philistines had captured the ark. They lost it. The ark of the covenant was never designed to be Israelites' pawn in their plans. God was not and is not a trick to have up our sleeves, to use to our advantage. You see, there were rules regarding the Ark of the Covenant and one of them was that the people didn't tell the Ark where it was to go. God determined where the Ark was to be. The Ark didn't come to them, the people went to the Ark. And the same is to us. We don't demand and tell the presence of God where to go. We go to him. They had total disregard for the presence of God and how holy he was. You see, the purpose of the ark was so that God could be with his people, not be used by them. The lesson is the same for us today, and Pam touched on it this morning, that Christ and our salvation is not a trinket in which we can pull out after we've decided everything and then sprinkle some Jesus sugar on it. We cannot expect to make the path, decide the plan, choose the job, choose the relationship, choose the house, the holiday, the car, the attitude, the way the time spent, the way the money spent, and then say, hey God, you'll be so proud of me, I did your job. Bless this. Proverbs 19.21 says it like this, but humans keep brainstorming options and plans. But God's purpose prevails. You see, they lost reverence for his presence because they saw it as an object of manipulation rather than a place of adoration. Simply put, they came to God saying, not, they simply put, they came not saying, I want to be with you. Rather, what can you do for me? The ark represented his presence and they lost it because of their, they lost their reverence towards it and they lost their way. How do you get back from that? How do you lose something that important? Well, what does it mean to bring it back? We know what it is. We know how they lost it. What does it mean to bring it back? As we read on, we we find that the Philistines and the ark, 
the enemy and the ark don't really get along. Who would have figured? Everywhere that they put the ark, they would wake up and their idols would be bowing down to it. They'd be so annoyed, they'd prop it back up. And then the next morning, the idol would be bowing down, but this time all of its limbs are cut off. And so they'd move it to another town. And in that town, sickness and tumors would, would break out and people would die. And they'd move it to another town and another town. And after seven months of this, they kind of think, I don't think this is working out. The Arcanus is not really working out. And they think, it's time to send it back. It is time to send it back. So they pop it on a cart, off it goes. It returns to Israel, but instead of going back to the tabernacle where it was meant to be, it goes to someone's house. Uh, And this young guy is put in charge of guarding it, and it gets put in a special spot in the back corner of Israel. And it stays there for 20 years. Now that is a special spot. That is on the brink of never being found again. That's passport territory, that one. (laughs) But after 20 years, during this 20 years, Israel gets a new king and it's King David. It was a new season. It was a new day for Israel where they could reflect on what has been but reset for what was coming. And the first thing David wanted to do was bring back the ark. Perhaps starting this year, you may be a little bit like David and maybe looking at your world and the life you're building and think, wait, God's not at the, like the centre of this. I know he's somewhere, I put him somewhere, but he's not at the center. Or maybe your life has been a bit like the season of Saul where they said, we did not inquire of the ark, meaning we did not seek out God for guidance. It was out of sight and it was out of mind. Perhaps you are living however you want doing whatever you want, and then slapping the name of Jesus on the side, hoping it gets blessed. If you identify with this, or if you don't, pay close attention to the two lessons that David learnt whilst bringing back the ark. In the first attempt to bring back the ark, we read a passage of scripture that most of us would like to skip over. It's, it's one of those passages that we kind of think, oh God, what'd you do that for? I don't like it. And we just want to skip over it and, and, and not touch it. Because it's one of those polarizing passages where people go, see that? I can't believe in a God like that. I can't believe in that cruelty. How could that kind of God be anything to do with love? But we press on. It says this in 1 Chronicles 13. First attempt, they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab. I'm glad it's not up there so you can't tell how badly I'm pronouncing that. And Uzzah was driving the cart. And David and all of Israel were celebrating before God with all of their might. There was a party going on. They had got the ark and it's coming home. And then when they came to a threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark 
because the oxen stumbled. So he thought, oh, here we go, the ox, oh, yep, 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 we got it, we got it. And in that moment, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzziah and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark and died there before God. David was so angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzziah and that place was called Perzez Uzziah to this day and David was afraid of God that day and he said, how could I bring this ark home to me? Kind of drastic, God. Bit of a party killer, literally. We may look at this passage and think, how could God be so cruel? And we might have two different reactions. It might be we could be really angry about this passage or we can become fearful of God. But we must understand that there were rules regarding the ark. And the rules were not there because God was cranky and uptight and and you have to do it my way. The scripture says that these rules were to be obeyed so that the people would know the message of God when they followed them. See, the, the Ark of the Covenant was a whole message of the gospel in itself. You look into it, it is a message of the gospel where Jesus was human but deity and that the law was inside but there's mercy on top and there was a blood that went on top that made a way for us to commune with God. And any kind of uh, misdemeanor, anything that you would approach that in the way that God said not to would distort the message of the gospel for them. You see, the the Lord designed it to be a concrete gospel message. And it wasn't just for the people of Israel. It was so that the world would know the message of grace. And if these rules were broken, then the gospel message was somehow distorted and somehow thrown off track. One of the rules about the ark was that it could not be touched. You may ask, wait, Wait, God struck him dead because he broke the rule? Well, yeah, but no. Yeah, but no. If you read, so many rules were already being broken at this stage. So many rules, like it was meant to be covered and it wasn't uncovered. It wasn't meant to be on a cart and it was on a cart. But this one, what was it about this action? Well, unlike every other religion of that day where they had their idols that you would be able to come and appease by touching, you'd come and kiss, you'd come and bring, you'd come and try and get close to the idol. You would, you see it even today that you get worn away on idols because these idols needed their flattery. They needed their love. They needed their affection to somehow uh, get their approval. God was not like that. And there is a great divide between God and humanity and the bridge could not be, the gap could not be bridged by human work or effort. It needed to be bridged by God. It needed a sacrifice worthy enough to bridge the gap. And the gospel message that Uzal was distorting was that by, was distorting was saying that by human works, we can make it to God. That somehow we can manage God. That somehow he needs our help to prop him back up. That somehow the dirt that he had made would defile him more than the sinful hand of himself. 
Uzziah did not have a clear view of God's holiness and he didn't have a clear view of his sinfulness. There was a great divide and a great gap between God and humanity. And had God let this pass, we think it's drastic that someone died. Had God let this pass, you and I would know the gospel message as not that Jesus' work was finished, but you and I had to finish the work between us and God. Tim Keller says it like this, the attitude of Uzzah took towards God, the attitude that Uzzah took towards God and the notion that somehow he could manage him or that God needed his help was and is always fatal in our lives. When David saw this, he was angry, pretty embarrassed in front of 30,000 people, but more than that, he was fearful he was fearful. He, he, he said, how could I ever bring the ark to me? Meaning, how could I ever bridge this gap? Church, hosting the presence of God is never brought about because you think you have earned him. God's presence in our lives has only been made possible because Jesus paid the ultimate price to bridge the gap between sinful humanity and a holy God. And David went away fearing God and realizing there is something between me and him and I don't know how to get there. So they all kind of looked at each other and went, well, I don't want it. Do you want it? I I don't want it. And then there was a foreigner's house. They're like, chuck it in there. And they all scurried off, put it in a special spot. As time went by, David heard the report that the house where the ark was, in the foreigner's house, a non-believer, was being blessed. It was at this point David had learned that although God was holier than he did ever believe, he was more gracious than he could ever imagine. So David decided, take two. We're bringing back the ark. And this time he did not do it in man's way. Because there was a way that you had to carry the ark and David paid no regard to it the first time. The second time, he did it God's way. Perhaps, perhaps this house was being so blessed, a foreigner, a non-believer, perhaps this house was being so blessed because this man knew with all of his mind that this was a gift The presence of God was a gift. He did nothing to earn it. He did nothing to to make his place worthy. All he could do was accept it and bring it right into the center of his life. And he was blessed because of it. You see, God is the great equalizer. He does not look at our society and think, oh, they're privileged. I'll bless them more. Or there's the foreigner or there's the refugee or there's the person who has nobody and thinks I can't bless them. God's presence is the great equalizer. And those who accept him and draw near to him, not because of their work, but because of Jesus' work, he blesses and brings joy in their lives, fullness of joy. And so as he did it God's way, as David did it God's way, the way the Lord mapped out that journey, the second journey, was marked by joy and worship. 
and the ark was brought back in. David had built a place for the ark and it wasn't in the back corner of Israel this time. It wasn't in a special spot that we kind of needed to search out the whole land. It wasn't, it wasn't obscure. It was right in the center. Nobody could forget his presence. No one could walk through the city and not know that the most important thing about that place was the presence of God. David was a changed man. He had changed from, I've got this. I'll get it. I'll bring back it. I'll bring back the ark. No problems to only you have this God and I need you. We need God. We need his presence. David recognized that he had a great need. He acknowledged that he couldn't keep going on like this. And could we all just be a little bit real with ourselves this morning and perhaps admit that maybe God hasn't been given the center of our lives Maybe this last season we didn't inquire of the ark like we should have. We didn't seek out his presence like we should have. But this one coming, this day, this new day, we want to put him at the center of our lives. I know there is more for us as a church. I know there is more presence, his presence, his fullness for us as a church. You know why I know? Because I don't see his fullness here yet. It's not, it's not overwhelming here yet. It's not bursting full of miracles. There is more. And faith is never satisfied with what it sees because it knows it sees more in the spirit. And I know there is more for us, church. There is more presence. There is more outpouring. There is more power. There is more miracles and more joy and more peace and more freedom than we could ever imagine if we would just look back and bring the ark out of that special sentimental spot and bring it right into the center. Right into the center. He is so good. We, as a people of God, if we have put him in a special spot, if we kind of made an idol out of the things of him, you know, it's, it's, you're able to be around God, do godly things, be part of ministry, and never, ever seek his presence. You can quote scripture after scripture and never have a new revelation of who he is. You know, the, uh, the reign of Saul, you know what they said about Saul? That he was the most handsome in all the land and he was a head and shoulders above the rest. I don't want a season that just looks good but doesn't inquire of God. I don't want to be a Christian who just looks like they have it all together. I cannot do another season of ministering from a dry place. I cannot do another season of not going to the Word every day. I cannot do another season of not being in prayer every single day. I don't want to do it. I need God. I need His presence. And I'm so dry without it that we are faking our way to freedom and it's doing nothing for the world. We need his presence, church. We need to bring it right back in the center. We are entering our 20th year as a church. 
our 20th year as a church, I don't, I don't feel like it's a coincidence that God placed this, this story on my heart. The 20 years that we would reset and like our original vision said, a community centered on Christ, that we would bring him to the center, that we would learn how to create a well-worn path into his presence. You know, sometimes um, it, might, it might feel like, practically, it might feel like it's really hard to get to his presence. You might think, yeah, you're talking about all these aloft things, that's nice, Jess, but what about real day? I kind of think about creating a well-worn path into his presence is kind of like when you want to try and make a, uh, a track through the bush, you know, and you kind of just see it and it's just like trees and you think, is there a way through there? And that's what it feels like when you begin to create a habit where you, uh, when you want to create a discipline of meeting with God and seeking God. And sometimes it feels like you take your first step and, and like anyone who's been bush uh, walking, you get flicked in the face by the branch. And there's no one in front of you to get mad at. It just flicked you. And I kind of, I kind of uh, relate that to when you start trying to meet with God, Watch this. Thoughts just fly into your mind. You cannot still your mind for the life of you. It's in that moment you remember the secret place. Oh, I know where the passport is. It's like every thought you've ever had comes back. It's like, and you take a step and you kind of think, I think that's the wrong way. And you just go back and you just sit where you've always sat. But it's creating a well-worn path into his presence. If you go back and forth and and soon you will silence the thoughts and you will be able to take control of your mind and God will teach you how to make that well-worn path into his presence. And if you begin to say, I can't do this, I can't sit still, I get bored, I can't read, in the most pastoral heart, I want to tell you that that is an excuse of lack of discipline and lack of maturity. Your God is bigger than your personality and your defaults to do with anything that you think you can't make it to his presence. Jesus did not die on the cross for your personality to not be able to to stand in the way of you and God. You, by discipline, create a well-worn path in and out of his presence. I feel like the Lord was saying this, dust off the foundations of your faith, church. Dust it off. Get it out of the secret place. Or begin your faith journey. Bring God's presence right into the centre of your life. Let us not forget God's presence. So that there would not be a day that went by where the Israelites didn't know that God was the centre in the same way. Let our hearts know that God is the centre of our lives. Uh, We're going to finish with communion this morning. And I've asked Luke to lead us in a worship song. But I pray as we enter this new season of 2019, I pray we would enter remembering God's goodness. We would remember entering God's mercy. Remember entering God's grace This morning as we take communion, we're going to finish together. And this is a symbol, the bread and the the juice. 
is a symbol of us accepting that it's not our work that bridges the divide between us and God. That it was only Jesus' blood that could wash away our past. It was only his sacrifice that would ever be enough. And as we come in a moment, I invite you to get real with your heart and with real with God. And, and you know what? Repentance and confession brings healing. And if you need to get on your knees before God this morning, go, that last season, God, <laughs> sorry about that spot I put you in. I'm coming right back to kneel before you. I see you as Lord and Saviour. Galatians 3.13.18 says this, that Christ redeemed us, Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? Well, that happened to Jesus. He was nailed to the cross. He became the curse for you and I. And at the same time, he dissolved the curse. And now because of that, the air is cleared and we can see that Abraham's blessing, God with us, is present and available for everyone, non-Jews, Jews, foreigner, refugee, for everyone. We are able to receive God's life, His Spirit in us and with us by believing. It is good news this morning that we have a sacrifice that bridged the gap between a holy God and a sinful people. And his name is Jesus. I invite you to stand. And in your own time, come and take the cup, take the bread. If you want to pray with someone, if you want to kneel, do this. We have time. But God, I declare that this is the year of your favour that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living because of what Jesus has done and that we accept that you are good and you're enough and we find delight in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.